Here we go. Folks, friends, and fiends, we have a new one here. And uh, let me tell you, this movie blew me away. And I, I say that often, but this one is different. The Apology. It's on Shutter right now. A very microcosmic Hitchcockian nightmare drama, if you will. You don't hear me say that too often because it doesn't happen too often. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I wouldn't have it any other way unless you said no. <laughs> Director, Alison Starlock. <laughs> uh, no, I'm blown away. And um, thank you. Uh, honestly, you got back to me real quick. Um, so what did we miss prior to the apology? What were you doing prior to this? Oh, sure. Um yeah, because I'm 45, so this is my first feature at 45, so that is a story. Um, I went to film school at USC. I was a screenwriting major there, and then I made a bunch of short films, worked on Friends films, that sort of thing, and I also worked as a story producer on reality shows, particularly a show on MTV called The Challenge, so that makes sense with my work, right? That's the same thing. Um, <laughs> so, it was, uh, and, and I was writing scripts all the time. And then um, I had my daughter. She's uh, almost 12. She'll be 12 next month. And uh, she, so I stayed home with her and then found out that she's uh, autistic and needed a lot of advocacy and help and that sort of thing. And so I stayed home to be there for her and help her through that. And now that she is feeling a lot more comfortable, a lot happier, um, that that I felt like the combination of she's doing better and mommy's about to jump out the window if she doesn't start making movies again, <laughs> now we have <laughs> me going back to work. And then I also got extremely – so once I started to kind of put myself out there again, I went and visited an old friend, Stacey Jorgensen, who's the producer on the film, and she uh, – she and I used to make short films together, and uh, so I just said, hey, I have the script, can you just uh, read it and see if you know of anybody who would like to produce it? And she called me back like a day later and said, I want to produce it, nice. and I want to bring it to my company, and it was just kind of like a fairy tale situation, So, and it just kept being that way, and then it got really hard, but <laughs> at the beginning, it was a lot easier. Um, on the autistic... Um... Uh, level yes i have that in my family that is a uh, full-time job for well it's 200 percent of your life uh yes, yes. yeah for you yeah. to accomplish anything while you know it's amazing that you were able to do this um oh, thank uh, you. your daughter 12 you said yeah, she's almost 12 next month. We're planning the birthday party, so my brain is already saying she's 12, but she's still 11. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I I'm going to ask you what I ask all horror directors, producers, writers, you name it. What age or when will you let her watch your film? Oh, that's an excellent question. Nobody's I know. Nobody's asked you that one yet. Uh, well, she's a little bit of a sensitive 11, so I think not for a little bit. Um, okay. I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely like, um, I think most people who are horror fans and parents are pretty like, 
let's let them watch it young because it's all a conversation anyway, you know. Uh, but for for her, it's like I can I can show her some horror films, but I think for this, honestly, I think she would mostly just be a little bored because it's just grown ups. <laughs> it's a lot of it is grown ups talking to each other and then they're yelling at each other and like scary stuff like that. Uh, and so it'll probably be a, a, a little while. But she did come to set one day, uh, one of the days where Linus had uh, Linus Roche, who plays our, our um, Jack, who plays our male lead. He uh, he had a lot of blood makeup on, and uh, she was watching him get it applied. And it was funny because I think that's one of the only moments that's like quite registered a little bit. Right? Yeah. She probably totally. Yeah. 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 Because she, she and also just like what movies are, you know? She was just like, oh this is pretend oh that's not real blood because she keeps and then when she does watch a horror movie with me and there's bloody stuff she goes oh it's just pretend like linus <laughs> <laughs> yeah how they associate absolutely uh yeah all right so we should at least tell the audience here <laughs> what we're talking yes, about what is this, this microcosmic like i said hitchcockian nightmare you recreated the hitchcock nightmare drama that I, I i guess has been lacking for some time you have to really dig deep to find it you're on shutter with this one the apology um starring anna gunn as darlene hagan janine garofalo who doesn't love her gretchen sullivan and linus roche is it roche or roach uh i believe it's roche roche but As he's not picky about it that I've detected. Jack so. <laughs> Kingsley. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, the the performance from these people, I don't know if you provoked it or what, but man, the way I look at it, if this movie was remade, no one else can play these characters, ever. Like, you nailed it. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Well, from, I, I really appreciate that, and I sure appreciate calling it a Hitchcockian nightmare drama, because it's been a weird, it's a weird film to describe, I think, mm-hmm. you know, some folks have been a little disappointed that it's not more hard horror, uh, that it's not more classic revenge tale, and uh, and I feel like, you know what, I love those movies too, but those movies exist, and hey, so I wanted to, to do something a little bit different here, so thank I you. appreciate that. No, no, we thank you for that. Um, it's a refreshing approach. Reproach, if you will. Um, it starts off, like, honestly, the establishing shots are, like, very important to me. I don't care whether it's The Shining or The Land That Time Forgot, which goes way back. Um, you establish that feeling, and it, it, it just it doesn't stop from there. Um, so do you want to explain to fans, friends, and fiends how... Or what's what's it about? I'd rather hear it from what you. Is this film? Yeah, yes. without like, because um, it's full of spoilers if I say it. <laughs> yes, it's a tricky thing. I mean, luckily the film's been out for you know a month or so now, so you know hopefully some of these folks who've, who are listening have have, have mm-hmm. seen it and can think about it that way. But for those of you who have not, the the apology is a Christmas set psychological thriller, and it's about Darlene who is. Uh, an older woman who has been searching for her missing daughter for 20 years to no avail. And, uh, she's really starting to hit some real despair, uh, on Christmas Eve night, she gets a knock on the door in the middle of the night. And there is her ex brother-in-law and former flame, uh, Jack, who claims to have had an accident in the snow and comes in seeking shelter and they start to catch up. And finally, after a while, he admits that, uh, he did actually come there on purpose and he's here to tell her something important. And then they're sort of off to the races. Yeah. Drops a bomb, <laughs> to say the Drops least. Drops a very big bomb. And the, it's very much like a chamber piece kind of, um, 
uh, like I say, sort of psychological thriller, dark drama. There are horror elements for sure. I oh, think yeah. that's why it blo- it's it's on the horror tree, as mm-hmm. they say. You know, mm-hmm. it's one one of the branches. But I think it's like like we've said, it's not going to be quite what you expect. Um, and the folks who dig it dig that. You know, and some folks are like wanting it to be a little bit something else, and that's fair. But Mm-mm. not this one. No, I didn't want more. Um, I, less is better in so many cases, and. Um, it's about suspense, folks. Imagination. Remember? Do you remember Imagination, kids? <laughs> it was an amazing thing. Um, so yeah, the the premise itself strikes home for me uh, for many reasons. I I'm a huge John Walsh fan. Um, I watch everything he does, and um, I since I was like well, fifteen, and um, it struck a nerve. It struck a nerve, and it was like so. The confrontation, all that. Um, but, all right, before I get too deep, um, how did you obtain Anna Gunn and Janine Garofalo? Yes. Um, uh, yeah, Christmas came early. I mean, I, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I had been working with these, um, I'll tell a million dumb Christmas jokes. I'm a big Christmas nerd, so the Man. fact that this, I got to set a story at Christmas was pretty fun, even though it is not a... I a, should have a had you... You should have been on my Christmas show about a month ago. Damn it. <laughs> All right, next it's, year. It's those of you that are wishing it's still Christmas. There you go. Um, but it's, uh, it's a small factor, really. It's just more of a catalyst. But, um, yeah, so my producers and I were working together to figure out who to cast because we knew we needed somebody... I wanted somebody... Folks who were... Um, you know, just total vet, experienced um, actors who are willing to go and play in this in my sort of dark sandbox. And uh, some one of the producers suggested Anna, and I was immediately like, "My God, yes! Like she's so incredible. I mean, who doesn't love her on Breaking Bad? Apart from the sexist jerks, uh, you know, it's like she's amazing in that show. I have always loved her, and I and I liked the idea of of somebody being. I was looking for sort of our generation's Dolly Parton. Nice. Uh, Somebody somebody who has like all that warmth, but a lot of edge to her and a lot of like humor. And like, you feel like she would be a real ride or die kind of buddy. And she is all of those things in real life. She is just an absolute like um, human treasure. So it was, so that's where that came from. And, And right away, both of them, uh, both of them said yes. Like Janine, to the point where she hadn't finished the script, she called me on a Friday night really? and just said, "Oh, okay, so Allison, this is Janine Garofalo." <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and she goes, "And of course I'm dying." And and she's like, "Okay, so here are the dates that I can't do. So if you have to rescind your offer, I completely understand." And I'm like, "Does this mean you're saying yes?" <laughs> wow, what a sweetheart! I was gonna ask you. I re- I was gonna ask you how that phone call went. And boom, yeah. there it is. She was right away just like and so supportive and practical. You know, she would say things like, "Talk, about, let's talk about the dates, let's talk about this. And then she would also say things like, okay, you're about to climb Mount Everest. I don't know why anybody does this. I think you're all crazy, including myself. But here we go. <laughs> Fantastic. She was right, man. The whole process, I kept being like, all right, Mount Everest, Janine, you're right. <laughs> It's exhausting. Um, I know I've, again, 270 some shows of uh, directors. I've talked to many, 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 and they don't see like the fruits of their labor for years sometimes. You got oh, yours yeah. pretty cl- pretty quick, huh? It, it was. Um, we, we started, um, 
we started proper prep. We had been developing and stuff before that, but we and casting and packaging and everything before that. But um, we started proper prep last January, so it's now been a year. So it was like in the same calendar year. Still good. It was very <laughs> yeah. It was very wild. And then with Linus, um, the producers had worked with him on Mandy. And, you know, of course, he just, like, gives the most incredible performance in Mandy. And, and not yes, only was he terrifying yes. in it, but I saw a lot of humanity in the way that he, in all, especially in his reaction shots. There's some of these, there's this incredible close-up he gives when he's watching Mandy, Mandy's um, unfortunate demise. And uh, it was it was so compelling to me. And I, and I was, and I had been a fan for a long time, but I hadn't thought of him at first because he's uh, English. And the character is very Midwest. And so, yeah, that's when that kind of happened. And he was also lovely. Like, immediately we got on a Zoom and just completely vibed and got what we were doing. And it was great. Yeah. Well, listen, oh. folks, I want to dig, if you will, the picture, okay? So I got this lovely woman in front of me, writer and director of The Apology, which is on Shutter. I always – got to reiterate. I hate radio, radio shows that don't reiterate after 45 minutes in – who they're talking to, where to find it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the apology on Shudder. Um, yes. So, again, this lovely lady is in front of me. She's wearing a Saturday Night Fever t-shirt. Oh, yes. A Friday Night Fever. And, and, wait, and, wait. Uh, it's a, Am I wrong? Okay, it's, I can't. It's a, it's, no, it's a, it's a Fright Night Fever. So oh. it's like Saturday Night Live, but it's got Fright Night on it. And Fantastic. And so it two of my favorite movies. Fright I Night. Saturday Night Fever and Fright Night. So. You're, cool. yeah, You're so cool, night. Brewster. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, The New Up, one of my favorite bands in recent years. Emily, pitcher, thank you.
have a great laugh. All right, so Darlene Hagen. Darlene Hagen played by uh, Anna Gunn. Um, and her friend Gretchen are preparing for Christmas, and there's a knock at the door. Um, like how that knock at the door changes everything. Yeah. And again, I, I don't want to like step on landmines here and give things away. Um, but is it safe to say that there's no big revelation as to who the killer is? Yeah, that's the thing. Is like some folks have been like, "Oh, I knew who it was right away." I was like, "It was intended." Uh, yeah, there's three people right in the you film. Gotta give a little, you gotta give a little mystery in the trailer, of course. But it's like, it's no, not about is, that. It's about. It's not about that. It's about her process of discovery, her process of learning, and his process of, of, of. Uh, slowly owning up to things you know and and uh that was something that linus and i talked about a lot was like the idea that we wanted him to be sincere mm. but deeply unhealthy and misguided <laughs> but sincere deeply unhealthy i'm gonna use that that's so awesome <laughs> let's not ignore like the truth of who he is of course but it's like for him but that's the thing is like you know the old saying it's like nobody thinks they're the villain you know Everybody oh, is, hmm. is a fully complex human, so it's you always think you're the hero of your own story, and so does he, you know? So um, that knock yeah. on the door, um, it, yeah. it, it's uncomfortable from the onset. And there's a history between, um, we'll say, Jack, Darlene's brother-in-law, and yeah. Darlene. And she opens the door and lets him in, and, uh, well, <laughs> the movie starts. Yep. Um, yeah. That now, actually came from the dream, the knock on the door and a man on the other side saying, I know what happened to your daughter, oof. Uh, was a dream that I had. And so then I what? woke up and started writing about this relationship, who are these people, and yeah. So that's so that was like one of those moments when we were shooting it, and then when Lana Wolverton, our incredible editor, put it in the trailer in such a great way, I was like, oh, every time I just got chills, like I would cry, because I would just be like, oh, this thing that came from my brain is here in front of my face it's pretty moving so a dream you dreamt yeah how much of this did you dream like the whole just thing pretty or? much no 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 um pretty much just that 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 um that dynamic of someone coming and knocking on your door in the middle of the night this man and saying i know what happened to your daughter and it being christmas time all of that was in the dream and everything else was all was all writing and do you realize you so. might have a whole franchise with that idea right there? <laughs> <laughs> People knocking at the door. And yeah. Things going yeah. All right. Not right, the stork. <laughs> it's not the stork this time. Um, <laughs> what but, other terrible shit can happen to you if there's a knock on the door? <laughs> I was so afraid to like actually address this film because I don't want to give spoilers, but really it's not about the, the who, what, when. It's like the during. Um, yeah. Jack, Jack rooms and alludes to her naive behavior like the whole time and yeah. just playing her and um that's why i i always said well i i always i said that this movie deserves it's essential you watch it twice and then you really mm. see you watch you watch the killer um play yes thank you because that's exactly that was my intent there'd be certain things where i'd say okay this is a rewatch reward Yes. You know, like this little moment is something or there's a little bit richer layer here. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, all right. So Darlene, um, her miss her daughter's been missing for 20 years. And she says this thing. I need to know that I did everything I can do. Yeah. And then she lets in the one thing, the one element she's missing. And it, it, that's yeah. 
unreal. Like, did you write that? I, I like, I need to know I did everything I can do. Did you come up with that? Or is that something you found? Like no, from true from, crime? That's, that's actually something from me. So as I was, as I was working on it, you know, I, I think you, you, you don't always start from a personal place when you're writing things, but for me, they always become deeply personal and something that I'm working through. And, and it became sort of a bit of a metaphor, allegory kind of thing for um, my uh, experience trying to be there for my daughter, who's, you know, as I said, she's autistic and has needed so much. Mm-hmm. And this feeling of, uh, and obviously it's like completely different thing. My kid is safe. I know where my kid is. She's fine she's just autistic it's just the it's just the journey of like trying to figure you know see if i have done whatever i can to Mm. set her up as well in life and it really became kind of an obsessive point for me and uh and to the point of like almost unhealthiness where it was like i i have to let in other parts of my life i can't just constantly worry about her and uh try everything i can think of for her and uh and so it became a little bit of a metaphor that way as i was working it and that's one of those lines that especially is is you know is from that that feeling of like i just want to know that i did everything i could for her and that's still true like i still feel that way but i've calmed down a bit about it (laughs) but uh and i think part of that is working through it by making this film and and also you know going back to work and uh, uh, feeling like I know I know my voice again, you know, all of that kind of stuff that you know, um, that, like you say, doesn't tend to happen very often when you mm-hmm. have a, a kid with differing needs. That becomes your whole life, and um, yeah, so that's where that a lot of that came from, and a lot of it did also come from like my research, just learning about searching families and all of my respect for them. But a lot of it was like feeling this like kind of connection with them mm-hmm. in the in the the detail of like that emotional need and also the boring stuff. Like there's a line in the basement where she's like, you know, and the website and the paperwork, it's like, right. The paperwork that we both have to experience, like it's so, uh, it's, it's not only like it's massive time suck and annoying, but it's also just like emotional. Every time you fill that stuff out, it's a new knife. It's a new knife. Every time. Exactly. It's like, yet again, let's put the focus on what she can't do as opposed to like now that the assessments are getting better, even just in the time since she was diagnosed uh, in terms of like also talking about her, her gifts. But it was like, yeah, those things are brutal. brutal. And so I, and I thought, my God, if you're also doing this mundane knife stuff, but your kid's not with you, like what that would feel like, you know? So yeah, so, so your your daughter had a huge impact on you writing this. Um, oh, she has a huge impact on me in in so many ways. She's just a magical human being, and 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 the experience of parenting for her for for good and challenge has been you know it's in all my stuff now, like pretty much everything. Come, yeah, honestly, I, I I wouldn't talk on it on this subject unless I came from it. Um, but being in a family with autism. Um, yeah, uh, they will surprise you and uh, wake you up to things or hit you with something that you didn't mm-hmm. see coming, and you wouldn't yeah. come up with it yourself. You know, oh, yeah, like, very, very. Um, you know, it's that's the thing that's notorious about folks on the spectrum is that they look at things in a different way, and a lot of people have a very ableist look of look at it. Like, let's just try to make them be able to look at things the way we look at them. And I always say, you know, well, I want you to live in the world, but I don't want you to, you know, necessarily conform to everything. I need you to be able to live in the world, but also like be your, you know, sparkly weird self. I mean, I, 
I try to go out and be my sparkly weird self and just because I'm a neurotip doesn't mean that I get to do it and you don't, you know? So, yeah. Sorry, I had a call coming in there and I'm going to murder somebody for doing that. But yeah, everything you said, trust me, I was paying attention. Um, yeah, it's a big part of my life. A uh, big part. Um, yeah, I don't want to get too much into that right now because I am actually writing a book about that right now. But I, um, Oh, you are? Well, you yeah. have to uh, share it with me when you're, when you're ready to share things. I definitely yeah. will. I'll send you a copy. But uh, yeah, I, um, I write horror mostly. So I understand where you're coming from. And that's... Uh, I, uh, I come from like the um, H.P. Lovecraft, Poe generation, mm. Stephen King, Anne Rice. And yeah. that's when I, when I watched your film, The Apology... Um, it was so refreshing to see the beginning, during, and the outcome. God bless you. Did you sneeze? I, I coughed a bit. I just got over COVID. So I, yeah, that's I, what you just, said. I have just a little bit of a cough. It's not as bad as I, I expected. It's like it keeps getting massively better every day. But right? Yeah, still there. Oh, no, I've done this show for uh, three years on COVID. So <laughs> people in and out of COVID. It's yeah. like ridiculous anymore. Um, so, all right. Um, so the whole time, like, all right, what kids, what you want to watch, when you watch this film, what you want to see is the play between who you already know is the killer and the victim or victim's parents um, interacting. It's something you don't see too often. She plays it out so well. Um, let's see. Well, I think I was just one of those kids that always wrote. I always wrote. And then I had a really great um, English teacher in high school who's actually in the special thanks in the movie. His name's William Winston. He was my high school English teacher, and he also taught the uh, the literary magazine in nice. high school, Skyline High School in Oakland, California. And uh, shout out. And, <laughs> um, and he really was the first person that made me feel like I could take it seriously. And then I, uh, you know, you need somebody as a writer to just validate you in literally freaking any way. And, and the fact that he took me so seriously that it was so funny. I hadn't spoken to him in a long, long time. And he called me up after I sent him the film and, uh, and said, your name's in the credits. Like, thank you for setting me up, basically. <laughs> like, thank you for all of your, all the things you taught me. And it was so funny because he immediately was like, I really enjoyed the film and then started giving me notes and it was so great because it was like I was right back in high school like he, you know this is a guy that like is never going to tell you just what you want to hear and so you can always believe what he's saying boom you know yes like just a great teacher that way like loving but and supportive but also like part of the support is like I'm going to tell you the truth like here's the things I didn't I bumped on and here's the things that I really liked uh, but yeah, so he was like a big influence on me for sure. And then I went to film school at USC, but it was like, learn, like I remember in high school writing my first script was just like this little short film. And I just remember being like, right, this is all you do. You just, all you do. But it's like the fact that you can just sit and just do it. You don't need anybody else's permission. You don't need to like, you, you, and I, I remember thinking, like, it's going to be bad to start. That's okay, you know? Like, I'm just going to start going, and then here we go. And I didn't get fully into horror until I was after college. I was always a fan, but I wasn't that hardcore of a fan. I'm not one of those folks who, um, and I wish I had been. I, I feel like I missed out on a lot of viewing opportunities. Uh, but I wasn't the kid that watched all the horror films in high school and junior high. It was later. I had watched some. I liked, I loved Romero. I loved Stephen King. My stepdad read Stephen King exhaustively. And so that was always around the house. So I read those stories really young. 
uh, I think I read um, Misery and different seasons and some other things when I was very young, like 10 or something, really young. And so that stuff was always in my head. It wasn't like a forbidden, you know, like a thing I couldn't write. And then I went to USC and really started to find my voice, but I was more into writing dramas like family dramas especially. Mm-hmm. And then as uh, as I got into horror later, I realized all of the... It just felt like a big free space to to write whatever about whatever hard, dark things or weird things that yes. your brain could conjure or whatever your obsessions are. You can explore them, I feel like, so much more freely. Yeah, it's a clean genre, slate. So. You're, you're right. Horror, like yeah. you can't... It, it is a clean... It, what people you just said it what people miss about horror is like horror can be what you just did or it could be you know Stephen King's it it's such yeah. a broad spectrum and you it could is. just put a little twinge and a knife in there and suddenly it's horror you know suspense yeah. becomes this horror um you're again I go back to Hitchcock with you um did you ever watch like old Hitchcock episodes or... Yeah, I mean, I thought of, I think when you're making something that has like suspense in that way, you always think about those like str- those like solid Hitchcock principles. I'm not a huge Hitchcock fan myself. Right, n- n- neither am I. But you recognize it. But I think you know. I think I think especially like I had a proper like sort of film school education, and a lot of that is okay. We're going to watch like a bunch of Hitchcock, and we're going to talk about the gun under the table, and we're going to talk about those sorts of like um, things, the, the weighted the weighted things that you can play with when you're looking at a, especially at a thriller side of the spectrum of horror. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But, and Kubrick too. I mean, I'm always oh. like, always thinking about The Shining and I definitely thought about The Shining a lot. For I brought that up earlier. That's where... weird. Um, I, again, you're establishing shots. You you created yes. that, You well, the environment and you do it more than a few times and it's so effective. So effective. I don't know if they're drone shots. Don't even you don't have to say they are. Um, they're it, it just. They, they it, were, of course, they were. We couldn't. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, we have definitely had to do drone. I was but trying it, to give uh, you helicopter credits. <laughs> yes, no, I wish. I, yeah, we can't afford that kind of stuff. Um, we we had a b- better budget than anything I've ever made by far, but it was not a helicopter budget. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, by the way, um, I love Easter eggs. Like, okay. Um, Jack, like, actually hands Darlene a mug that says, I love you, Mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. almost spit your water that out was, just then. <laughs> that, that was, it's so funny because um, I caught that you. was like, that was a weird, yes, you did. Uh, that was a weird um, thing that evolved because originally it was going to be a thing where she took it out of the cabinet and put it in front of him after he's like told her this terrible thing oh i missed but because that we, we but but that wasn't what happened oh, because okay. after, as we were as we were running the scene we were like this doesn't no it was when i was rewriting it it was before before that but then i had um but then the prop master still had that mug we had changed it like kind of too late and so then i was like fuck it let's just yeah. <laughs> let it just be a nice. weird thing that happened you know you know my wife picked up on that she's like did you see that mug the second time around, I'm like what? Okay, I, and I love I, your I, wife already. Oh no, you you guys could talk for hours about me and your husband, I'm sure, and our issues by marrying you guys. <laughs> anyway, so um, so the murderer. I mean, he has to be married to me too. I'm no picnic. <laughs> yeah, we all sleep with one eye open. 
so um, the murderer. All right, again, spoiler alert, folks. Uh, not really, though. You tell me if I need to edit this. Sure. Um, the murderer, Jack, admits to killing his niece to Darlene, which it would be Darlene's daughter, because his niece resembled her mother, Darlene. Yeah. yeah. Wholly disturbing ever. <laughs> Laughing. And then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I wanted to be um, a, a bit of a, of a really... That, like that there's this interesting sort of uh, very twisted... Dynamic. Uh, romantic, almost romantic. It's not romantic because it's obviously it's violent and it's it's corrupted and there's so much wrong there. But again, that it was like in, from his perspective, mm. this, this was the great love of his life to this degree. You know, that it was like, that's what... It's like, oh. Uh. But also it's like what you... Uh, you know, the way that folks will um, rationalize even the most horrific things that they've done. Yes. It was something that was very fascinating to me for this. You, you must know? you must watch a lot of true crime because, yeah, criminals that have been put away for killing 40 people will rationalize why. I'm not a bad mm-hmm. guy. I just did these things, you know. I just have a bad habit. <laughs> uh, I got a bad, got a bad habit. Um, <laughs> but, the, the, like, there's some horrific positive reinforcement by Jack the yeah. he he like reinforces <sighs> tries to uh, justify what he did and try yeah. to the mother of the person he killed <laughs> these, yeah. these are things that well yeah I'm not gonna say they don't they don't happen in true crime and if you watch anything on uh, true crime on Paramount lately these things happen not yeah. but not the format that you put um, yes, I did want it to be a bit of a dark fairy tale, a bit operatic in that way that it's like this was never going to be an interaction that would ever have happened in real life. Like this is not going to – no way does any part of this ha- – so, you know, there's, there's – th- that the whole point of it was this uh, – that this um, obsessive cra- – crazy connection had to see it had to see itself through you know yes uh but yes absolutely but that i think there's a lot that's a lot of what motivated me was that there's so many of these kinds of cases you hear where it's like uh people and especially men i think there is a cultural entitlement there to be able to rationalize whatever your behavior is Mm. and so i wanted to do it in a in the most sort of operatic extreme insane violation kind of way you did it. So, yeah. You, yeah, you, you did it. I'm not afraid of the dark, but you should be. There are things that dwell here in the dark. Things best left unseen. With the initial smoke clear from the fall of tomorrow, the blood now flows even thicker with dwelling in the dark. Eleven stories, all bits of the same mysterious puzzle, fitting together with horrific parallels to its predecessor. Get ready for new, truly terrifying tales set in the broken world from the fall of tomorrow. Take a closer look at what's now dwelling in the dark, if you dare. Available on Amazon in traditional print and ebook. 
Get your copy today. Visit www.fairydarkproductions.com for more info on the author and his work. Hi, this is Annie Hardy, and you're listening to Kettle Whistle Radio. Um, I mean, Jack justifying his position is like abominable. Yet he yeah. sees some congeniality in like talking about it with <laughs> the very person that would want to murder him for doing it. Um, yeah. And it's told uh, again. The, the apology is told through very careful camera angles, which I appreciated. You, I, I, okay. who was your director of photography? Uh, Jack Caswell, who is just uh, incredible. We had a great time working together, and mm. he is. Uh, he he has he has uh, shot some other features, but I think he's definitely going to be a big a big deal very soon. And I'm I'm grateful that I got to work with him when I could still afford to. And uh, he he is just he he is such a sweetheart and so and so constantly inventive and so uh, and really just helped me feel very supported in in what I wanted to do. And you know it was a little. It was a lot emotional going back to work after all that time at home. And then suddenly, like, everybody's asking you questions and want to do what you want to do. And and uh, and Jack was always so, so like, kind of gentle and supportive in that it would be like, well, but remember we talked about that shot. I think we should still get it. I think it's important to you, so we're going to still get it. And he would just – and he's so lovely with the crew, and he's just a – an incredibly inventive kind person he was also our colorist as it turned out because he's he mostly uh or lot often works as a colorist he just he just did the grade on blood relatives if you haven't seen that one that's a really fun one yes shutter um but yeah so he was we had so much fun shot listing together i had shot listed originally and then i got together with jack and i was like you know i kind of want to just throw those out and start again with you and some of those a lot of those shots that i had originally put in there were still you know became part of the shot list that jack and i worked on and are in the film but some of them were like eh, that doesn't really work anymore and we would just kind of riff together and had a great time yeah i love it thank you um and darlene uh her quote hold me hostage in my own house to unburden yourself yeah um no one's ever gotten to say those words and uh, whether you're at work <laughs> or confronting your murderer, those <laughs> that's a strong line. And I forget yeah. his reaction, but Jack, uh, played by Linus Roche, he's amazing and convincing because he's trying to convince you that he's a nice guy the whole time. Yeah. The whole time. He's trying to convince himself, too, I think. Yes, yes, boom. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, folks, this movie, it's not about the revelation, nor is it like a whodunit. It's about the conversation and actions between the killer and the mother of the victim. Something we've not seen. If we have, well, I missed it. <laughs> yeah. Completely original, and this is just an amazing film, The Apology. And um, I can't thank you enough for coming on, and I'm not done with you yet. Um, I'd like to hear, are you a comic book fan? I am a comic book fan. I'm not. It's funny. I live with a very big comic book oh. fan, so I always feel I f always feel a little, little, like a little, 
like I'm a, I'm a pretender when I say that I am a comic book fan because I know what level most comic book fans are at. I, I'm, I'm a, but I am a fan. I, I'm, I'm a little bit more into, like, I like some horror comics. I like more of this sort of, um, like, fun home, blankets, ghost world, like a little more that what are the sort of eccentric personal relationship kind of comics i'm a little less into the superheroes even though i appreciate them no i, I get it's it it's just not what i've read as much so yeah, yeah yeah okay and music what kind of music do you listen to oh all kinds um i have a really uh, eclectic thing it's interesting though because you know i know this is this is a horror movies and music podcast oh yeah unfortunately we... i was like yeah. i was like oh i'm not in a band i'm not musical in that way but i do i will say though i think um I had a really fascinating experience working through the music for this film because, again, talk about sort of feeling like an imposter and sort of emotional going back to work after all that time. And, and I felt very insecure about talking to musicians and to composers because I thought, I don't speak this language. I felt like I was worried that it was like this other language which is sort of now I realize is really silly because it's like there's always specific language to any any artist or any craftsman there's always specific language that you learn more as you go but really what it became was like no just speak to them about what you want the feeling of the moment to be what you want the audience to be taking from this um and and let them do their thing and so that was that was the really rewarding experience and so then ever since then i feel like i've been more um open to different kinds of things and 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 trusting my taste and mm -hmm. then it's like sometimes i'll listen to stuff that most people consider like pop garbage but it's like it's helping me write and then sometimes it'll be like oh here's some incredible new you know person making something in their garage that is just really stunning and so yes. and everything in between um but yeah so it's it's interesting so our composer is Yuel Lamour who is a, a Parisian American composer she lives in France and she's just this like wildly creative but also weirdly very calm like she would just be like I'd be like okay so here's what I was thinking we do this and we do this and she would be like okay okay sounds good yeah okay and uh and then she would send back this this cue that was just like dazzling like she would just do these very inventive things and and uh we you know we would have some things where you'd have you, typically when you're working on score you have you have several rounds of feedback right you sometimes it takes a while to find the voice of the to find the sound of the film right absolutely it did not it was very quick and then um and then we would have like something, I think a few cues we had two rounds on, but most we would have one or none. She would just like get it done. And, and she was incredible. And then um, and then uh, Tim Perry from Ages and Ages, uh, we knew that we, I, I wanted a Christmas song. Originally it was gonna be, <laughs> originally at the beginning it was gonna be a lot lighter. And so I wanted, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas at the beginning <laughs> of the film. <laughs> And it was going to be them singing it and that sort of thing. And it just didn't work. It just, it felt too silly. Like in a, in a, in a, cr a very Krampus way. Yeah. Yes. Like I wanted a little bit of that kind of vibe and instead it just didn't, it didn't work. And so, um, we switched, we put UL at the beginning and then we were like, okay, what Christmas song do we end on? And, uh, and I believe it was Lana Wolverton, our editor was like, well, I was, I love this band ages and ages. And 
we loved another song that they made, but we couldn't afford it. <laughs> and so then we sit, and she's like, I, what if we did, we were like going through these Christmas songs. What do we do? Which one do we pick? And she was like, well, Old Lang Syne just always makes me cry. Mm. And, and I thought, well, that would fit the end of this film. <laughs> and so we uh, talked to Jacob Nathan, our music supervisor. Uh, I'm kind of obsessed with giving shout-outs because I had an incredible group of collaborators on this film. So every time I do an interview, I'm like, how many more shout-outs can I give Aww. to these incredible And then you forget. You feel people? you feel bad when you forget. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're like, who did I forget? Who haven't I mentioned yet? You know, and of course it was like a full real crew and so like, a lot of people to mention. But it was like, um, but Jacob was so great and patient and just like diligent and creative and he was like well if you guys like ages and ages what if i just ask him if he would be willing to do a cover of one of these songs that you like and so we he did and and tim was and he was so great to talk to and again i felt sort of insecure how am i going to give him notes but i just kind of spoke from the heart and he riffed and we had uh and the big thing i said to him was like i love your band but i i really love especially when you are collaborating with the with this female singer from a band called the sea the sea mm-hmm. and she just has such an incredible haunting but grounded at the same time voice and so Love that's it. where all of that came from and it was such a great experience so you know now it's like i feel like i've and, and i'm i was very passionate about having a female composer on the film because i really wanted um there was something that felt like alchemy about I wanted a, a female perspective on the music. So why yeah. not? Why not? And there's not <laughs> enough. There's not enough female composers out there by far that are getting chances. There's plenty that are creating. Well, but, on on this know. on Kettle Whistle Radio, we definitely focus on a lot of female artists. Um, uh, the show is founded by me and a female, and uh, we. Yeah, if you look back, 270 episodes, we got a lot of female artists, composers, too. Um, Actresses, directors, um, but musicians. um, Very, very, very important uh, to us. Uh, It adds a whole new element to the game. I grew up in the, uh, well, 70s, 80s. Male... The male perspective got old, it got boring, and it became redundant. And that I was getting into this just now, actually. Um, when I put my glasses back on and I see what I wrote down, <laughs> you caught me. Yeah, uh, no, like, oh, I, I know he needs. He I can't needs see a damn thing, dude. I'm old. I can't see no, anything. I'm the same way. I, I'm, I'm old enough that I'm doing the thing where I pull my glasses down to properly read something. Yeah, I know. Really, anyway, just, oh my goodness. You know, yeah, I'm okay, then it makes me look like the old broad of my dreams, so that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be who? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just like the idea of, like, as I get older, like, lean into my, you know, uh, inner broad. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, folks, friends and fiends, she's a very attractive, a lovely lady. And I, I do dig her attire. We've already talked about that. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing. Killers usually show up later at the scene of the crime. But Allison, my friend, you took this to a whole new level. <laughs> um, were you inspired by the fact that like criminals show up at the scene of the crime to see what's happening? Or it was just like, was he re-victimizing? That's an excellent question. Uh that's something that I kind of wrestled with a lot was how much of this is he sort of sickly enjoying satiating 
He's he's his face. But you know, I, I I was talking to somebody really early on in the process of this of the film, and 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 she was saying that that he needs her revenge, mm. and I think oh. there's something to I think there's something a little more to that. Like he needs to see this through. He needs to like, um, you know, he says it. Uh, you know, she says it. Twi- I think twice in the film uh, talks about unburdening yourself. And I think that's a lot of what he wanted to do. I think he he was like, this is too much to live with. And she, and he did feel, I think, a sincere obligation to tell her. Hmm. But there is, it's all twisted. I mean, it's definitely twisted. So it's like, it's like, I think all of that is like in the twisted soup. My friends, if you listen to this, we are not ruining this movie. Because it's all about the interaction between Anna Gunn and uh, Linus Roche, Jack, and um, Anna. Um, <laughs> I have to ask you this, because if I don't ask you this... All right, so uh, Jack killed Sally. Are you a Nightmare Before Christmas fan? <laughs> no, but that's a good poll. Uh, it's actually because my daughter, when she was little, looked like Sally Brown from Peanuts. Oh, wow. no way. And, and so that's... And I used to sort of say, oh, she's my Sally... And so then when I was looking for a name, I did not want to, uh, you know, use my actual child's name. <laughs> but because she was, because uh, that just seems like bad, you know, juju or something. I don't know. But so I was like, let's uh, let's use something else that's very meaningful. And so that's why. So all of the names are very meaningful. I, that's the way I am. Like every single thing in this has a lot of loaded whatever, even if it doesn't get registered. Uh, like Darlene was my mom's best friend when I was growing up. Uh, Kingsley is like a family name you know there's just a lot of that kind of stuff throughout Gretchen is actually after a friend, good dear friend of mine who died a few years ago from leukemia sorry to um, hear that oh thank you her name was Mariah Gretchen Robinson she was she was an amazing human and she wrote actually um, she wrote uh, an incredible web series called Last Scene that was about um, that was kind of a true crime inspired story as well so I always thought, oh man, she would have loved this. <laughs> she would have loved this uh, this experience of this this film. So I put her in the in the dedications at the end too, and named named this lady after her. So there's just there's a lot of that. Yeah, all the names mean a lot. I have no yeah. doubt that she would be proud. I, I we lost two people to leukemia in recent years. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's 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 weird that there's a resurgence of that as well. Um, yeah, it's a lot more common now than it was. I know we're going off the subject here. Yeah. Um, but I do have a question from my wife, uh, D nice friend her. Cause she's going to love you. Um, she already <laughs> does. She's she, uh, like, I've never seen her pay attention to a film so closely that would be even considered a horror movie. Uh, she likes horror movies, but she's sick of my bullshit. Um, to say the least. Um, how do you think this movie would be different if there was a male writer or director? Mm, that's a fair question. Well, I think the thing is that we've kind of seen versions of this story mm-hmm. that were made by men yes. that I love. Like um, The Vanishing is one of my favorites. So good. So of, good. A lot of inspiration, a lot of like a lot of crossover type type topics. Mm-hmm. I think um, for me at least, it's like you know you can always there's something within the female experience in that if there is a difference between the genders experiences that I think that women live with fear of violence in a in a in a 
in a much more deep-seated way hmm. than the way that men describe their experience. At least I, sh- I no, I can't speak for that. No, it's a different it seems, experience. You're right. I think we I think we always live with the experience of being around violence, being around rape, being around all these things. And if we haven't experienced it ourselves, like I'm the Gretchen in that scenario, in that I have borne witness to people talking about their experiences, but I've not been you know violated in that way and so i think a lot of it is is kind of thinking about that and thinking about all of the ways that you know the way people talk about sort of microaggressions or uh uh kind of the 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 emotional labor of trying to make a man feel safe so that you can feel safe Mm. I think that that's the sort of stuff that I wanted to put in the film that I don't think I've seen as much. I never want to say I've never seen, you know, there's so much glorious stuff out there, but Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, that I feel like most revenge tales are much more about a tangible eye for an eye. Charles Bronson, (laughs) Charles Bronson. You know, and I like a lot of those movies too. Like, obviously you don't make a revenge movie if you don't like revenge stories, but it's like, it wasn't, I was, I, I felt like there was a, it was a little bit more, not to speak for all women, someone would totally just chop his head off. But it's like, uh, I think that for for my experience as a woman, it felt more, it felt a little more radical to be like, okay, but what what would you really want and need? You would need to know mm-hmm. everything. You would need to understand it. And so that's where I think a lot of the difference is. And I think Big it's time. also just like, you get the little details of things too. Like, I don't know that a man would have given her a purple couch, you know, like little stupid things like that, that I think add up to be a little more authentic for what it would be like being a woman who lives alone. You know, Darlene has been living alone for a long, long time. Yes. You know, those sorts of things that I think, and that's why I think it's always so interesting to see sort of classic tales redone by somebody's particular experience, right? Like all what we've been talking about, more women making making films and making horror films and people of color talking about these kinds of classic stories, but they're from their very specific experience. It's mm-hmm. always really rich and exciting. Yes, you know? and we get to hear that now, where before you guys, uh, you guys women were stifled uh, from their point of view. Um, I grew up, again, I I watch a lot of 80s horror, and going back now, even listening to 80s music, uh, it's like, wow, um, yeah, women didn't have a whole lot to say back then. Um, It it was all, it was like, you know, 2.5 girls in the movie have to show their tits. It's like, all right, this is redundant now, Um, and over and over and over again. And final girl, you know, how about interesting girl, you know, how about hero or heroine? Uh, We had that with Ripley and that was the beginning of the end of all that bullshit. Uh, and boredom, actually. I, I, there's like a lot of good 80 slashers. Don't get me wrong. I was going to say, like, I'm a big fan of like 80 slashers. I'm writing Sleepaway a slasher camp. right now. Like, yeah, so like, I, I'm less into Sleepaway Camp. I appreciate it, but uh, I'm more like, um, I love... Uh, I love Friday the 13th. That was my, like, gay yes. Yeah, and first uh, one. Nightmare, of course, and Scream and Absolutely. all that. Anything that has, like, kind of a sense of humor about it, but also is very, like, um, I love the way Craven would respect the kills. Like, it was like oh, every man. kill had a certain amount of grief to it. Yeah. I, mean, I really so he's very big deal to me. I mean, as a, I think most horror fans. I, mi- I, I miss just, him. I do miss him. 
Uh, how yeah. do you feel about Carpenter and his rebooting of himself? What do you mean, like, becoming a composer full-time? Well, no, I, I dig that part. But no, the Halloween uh, kills and Halloween ends and uh, rebooting his own films, kind of. Uh, I, I like Rob Zombie. I'm a fan. Uh, but I yeah. look at that as a different genre. Well, I mean, perspective. Um, but I, I also adore the original Carpenter. And John Carpenter's yeah. The Thing might be my favorite horror movie of all time. <laughs> I just I just threw a, a Halloween party that was the thing themed. Like my husband and I dressed as like two of the guys from the thing. No way, kind of, like, McCready. Nerdy stuff, yeah. So John was McCready because he's got a beard and the, he looks a lot like McCready. Actually, no way. So we were like, let's do that. That's so funny. And then I was um, Childs. Oh, <laughs> you weren't Childs, were you? <laughs> I wasn't Childs. I was. Oh my gosh, I feel bad that I can't remember his name. I'm uh, Bennings. Yeah, Bennings. Bennings. Yeah. I was he, Bennings. His his death in the book is a lot worse than what you see in that. You ever read the book? I did. I, I forgot that though. But yes, I did read the book a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. he gets sucked under the, the snow. It's like a shark attack. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we're straying here. Um, all right. So again, um, I appreciate you doing this. Um, this film is, as far as I'm concerned, uh, breached some things in horror that haven't been touched. Uh, there are moments that you ha we have not seen before, especially between characters like Anna and Gretchen. Uh, they act like real people would act in that moment, especially a certain scene on the stairs I'm not going to talk about. But um, they, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, Janine Garofalo makes the film, the whole movie's really good. Don't get me wrong, kids. But... <laughs> Janine Garofalo in a gasp makes the film and you know the part I'm talking about yeah that yeah. gasp like whoa like I, I, yeah. I can't I can't elaborate on that and kill it yeah. you know I, I, I yeah. watch it just watch it kids watch it I love I love 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 her in this I was so proud of it I, I think she's just it's showing this this really thoughtful quiet side to her that you know, comedians are not known for that, but they have the, the you know, I know I have a lot of friends who are stand-ups and, and there is like a, and Janine is like an insatiable stand-up. I think oh. she does stand-up like seven days a week or something like that. She's just totally in love with it and, and such a master. And, and it, it's, there's this like, obviously there's that constant energy, that constant like flow of ideas, but she also has a real like observant um, quiet to her that I was really proud to put on screen, you know? Nice. Well, in closing, um, I would like to know, well, let's see here. If you had, uh, all right, uh, let's do uh, top three favorite horror movies and three favorite bands. I, I ask this of everybody. So, yeah, yeah, no, I love those kind of nerd questions. That's yeah. so fun. Um, top three horror, I think um, I would go The Shining, The Babadook. Nice. And then I struggle. Oh, which one do I pick? There's so many that you love, love, love. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go the haunting, the original, the haunting. Oh, original, uh, black and white, nice. Yeah. yeah. Yes, um, it has one of the scariest scenes I've ever seen. It's so empathetic, and I'm so obsessed with Shirley Jackson. So anytime I can give a shout out to her. I want to do that. I was on a show my buddy does called This Is Rad, and I just talked about Shirley Jackson for like three hours on that show. <laughs> I had no idea. 
honestly, I don't. Okay, one of my things is I don't listen to previous interviews. I don't want to know anything about you that other than the film that we're talking about. And I learned this from a guy named John Russo, who co-wrote the original Night of the Living Dead. He's a close friend. Oh, sure. And yeah. Re- oh, Return yeah. of the Living Dead. He's on these airwaves quite a bit. Um, oh, and man. he, I, I, I constantly like, I, well, I, I bother him cause we do shows together and, um, he, he, he's like, I don't watch other zombie films. I don't watch other people's horror cause I don't want to be influenced and I don't, I don't want people to say that I copied it. Um, oh, right. Um, I guess, I don't know that I can say the same. You, um, you watch everything horror that you can get your hands oh, on? Yeah. I don't do that. I, I absolutely, yeah. I'm like, no, I'm going to watch it. And if I'm working on something that's similar, I'm going to watch it a whole bunch of times. And then I just, <laughs> I just try to be really cognizant of making sure that if there is something that I'm sort of obsessed with from that other film, that I'm doing something that's my own with it. But Boom. it's like, it's more like it's, it's all muse, right? It's all like stuff that gets you fascinated. And so, yeah, I, I, um, and Night of the Living Dead, I mean, Jesus, like we could go on forever as people have, but, um, that one was always such a huge, that was such a huge thing for me and continues to be, I'm obsessed with horror that has to do with process. Mm. Uh, there's, there's a lot of those steps in this film too, but a lot of the other things I write are a lot more about like, okay, what would you do in that situation? Where do you get your tools? How do you do the thing? How do you talk to people to get them to collaborate with you to keep safe? Like, um, it's it's and that film is just one of the preeminent examples of that you know i mean such i think that's why it wasn't just the zombies it was the it was the urgency of that film and uh and i watched that actually in the theater at an overnight movie horror movie marathon that my mother took me to in high school and uh that was very formulative but yeah so uh oh wait so wait your mom took you my grandmother um i watched it with her, my grandmother, the first time, Night, Night, of, the, Night of the Living Dead and Day of the yeah. Triffids. <laughs> nice. Well, I look forward to showing that one to my daughter. I think that I probably could relatively soon, but right now her big sensitivity is, is little girls in trouble, so I don't think that movie would go over very well <laughs> at the moment. Hey, come see, come saw. Give bit. it give it some time, my friend. Give it some there, time. That, that poor girl. Yeah, yeah she may come around and yeah. uh, make the next blockbuster. I'm just saying. Yes, exactly. But, um, yeah, so top three bands. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to sound lame because, uh, yeah, um, Bare Naked Ladies. That's not I terrible. Love the Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, and I love uh, uh, Indigo Girls. Not terrible. I love anything. Anything with a sense of humor, anything with really great storytelling in it, um, I'm a little more drawn to than necessarily um, some things that some other folks see. Again, there's like this weird insecurity about even like what my musical tastes are. It's totally mm. weird. Um, um, and not a band, but a singer, Bonnie Raitt, is one of my favorites. I, I, I listened to her a lot through the making of this film. An amazing woman. Uh, she said this thing um, that I heard in an interview while I was literally driving to set one day, and it was like, uh, I was so frustrated when I was young, because I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember the exact thing, but it was like, <laughs> I was so frustrated when I was young because my voice wasn't like old and husky yet. I was I couldn't wait <laughs> until my voice had like character to it, basically. And now she's like, so now it's so great. Now I'm like older and I can sing these songs and I have all this character to my voice. I was like, what a blues kind of approach to 
to yourself, you know? And I thought, oh, that's so interesting because I was sort of feeling the same way. Like, I like what I wrote when I was younger, but I like what I'm writing now so much more because I think it has more, um, you know, um, experience and heartbreak in it and more um, appreciation for the nuance of the human condition. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, so, can't, you can't write the blues till you live it. Yeah. Bottom line. And I think horror, horror and blues have a lot of crossover in what, yes. they, what they try to, you know, express. So Yeah, uh, yeah. monsters for metaphors. I've been saying that for years. Yeah. Um, I'm going to plug some stuff right here, uh, folks. If you like your horror and you like your artists that do it, celebrationofspirits.com. And if you like anything horror, go to burningbowlpublishing.com, folks. You could actually find Dwelling in the Dark. I highly recommend it. Oh, yeah, it's mine. A bunch of short stories that all kind of go together, a bunch of different monsters and things. Uh, Of course, Fairly Dark Productions for all your horror needs and all the episodes of kettle whistle radio and this is when i ask my guests go ahead allison plug your stuff yes so you can see the apology currently on um shutter and amc plus and on vod so you can buy or rent it wherever you buy or rent such beautiful things and uh, you can also hit me up on instagram twitter and tiktok at allison starlock and, uh, yeah, I would love to hear from folks. If you've seen the film and you have thoughts, uh, good or bad, I welcome all, all input. If you want to nerd out about horror things, come, <laughs> come uh, at me on uh, all those platforms. I look forward to it. It's been real fun to hear what people think, and it's been real fun to talk about our, our beloved genre together. Absolutely. So, thanks for having me on. Oh, you kidding me? You're my Huckleberry. Um, do you have T-shirts? Curious. That- no, I I wish. You know what's funny though? I do have. I literally possess a T-shirt that my friend made me oh, when nice. we were packaging the film to keep me going, and it Aww. says "The Apology of Film by Allison Starlock." That's a that's good friend. That's a that's a very good friend. That's but, uh, a very oh, good yes. friend. Uh, Zena Logan, who actually plays the reporter in the film, she was uh, she was the head of my um, writer's group for years and years, and just is like a total like you know lifts you up kind of friend. So you need yeah, that. So. You need that. So, I you... wish we had t-shirts. I want t-shirts. I want like I want to see some uh, some goofy uh, stuff out there. So here's hoping. Yeah, that, that your movie, um, the poster itself is just a great idea for a t-shirt. I, I'd buy it tomorrow. So. That's me. Oh, thank um, you. Listen, thank Allison, you. thank you so much for doing this. You're lovely. You uh, your movie me. is brilliant. I cannot wait to see what you're doing next. And I guess thank I have you. to ask you, what are you doing next? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, because I'm literally I'm working on two things at the same time and then figuring out what I'm going to go push out into the world. But I'm working on a haunted house thing and a, uh, and a slasher. All right. So, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for doing Kettle Whistle Radio. Folks, I'm at Fairly Dark on Twitter. I don't use it much. Let's see what Elon's going to do with that if he's not <laughs> ruining things. Or just shoot him into space so we could use Twitter again. All right. I know. I'm kind of on there, like, waiting it out, like, hoping that something gets fixed. Like, please. I like that. <laughs> right? And Instagram. Uh, yeah, kettle.whistle.radio. Instagram yourself or the movie or both. Um, just myself, and uh, and then the hashtag is the. Uh, some people are using the apology, and then some are the apology film. So you can find uh, posts from both of those. Okay. Well, listen. I look forward to doing this again on your next film, and I cannot wait because honestly, oh, well, I, I actually feel for you because you really set the bar high. 
Um, <laughs> I can't wait to see what you do next, Allison. But before you go, Allison, I'd like you to meet Alicia Mitchell, the lead singer of Ionic Impulse. That's Ionic Impulse, A-E-O-N-I-C, Impulse. And their version of Love Song. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for listening.
Society 13, Redefining Podcasting. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Acid Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. 